Radio Universe. It's a new day. Yes, it is. I am Vaughn Johnson. You got me mad now. You know, you got a bicycle. Feeling good. For all the st- skeptics and all the people have a little bit of... Let me do this again. Oh, it's live, pal. Sorry. We ride the bicycle in this arena. With my man, man, Pots and Pants, Nick Bacone. That's me. I don't know where the kid is that was riding it, but he ain't on it when they brought it to the ring. Smile at you and kick your face off. I'm down with that. Kick your But I don't like it when things are going my way. Don't you dare be sour! He don't know nothing else. <laughs> you know that wrestling, right, he know that wrestling, bro. <laughs> give me a hell yeah! I said give me a hell yeah! What's up, ladies and gentlemen, out there at Internet Land, and welcome to episode 281 of The Straight Shooters, available wherever podcasts are found. My name is Vaughn Johnson, and I'm joined as always by my main man, Pots and Pants, Nick McCone, a Philly voice and Philly influencer. And yes, after a week hiatus, we are back with another fantastic show for you here on this here episode. Yeah, we took a week off last week because schedules didn't match up. Life gets in the way, people get busy because we have normal day jobs. This is not our day job, so we have things that get in the way sometimes, but we're back. We wouldn't leave you hanging for too long, all right? We're back with another deep dive on this here episode, episode 281. We're going to finally deep dive into the documentary about David Arquette that came out in 2020, actually, very recently. It's called You Can't Kill David Arquette. You Cannot Kill David Arquette. It's <laughs> just saying, no, uh, con- no contraction there. You Cannot Kill David Arquette came out again in 2020, of course, this is about David Arquette, former WCW World Heavyweight Champion David Arquette, and his most recent foray into the world of professional wrestling. So we're going to talk all about it. Uh, it's available. There you go. The people are cheering for him there. So if you have not seen it yet, uh, it is available on Hulu. Uh, so go check it out. Go watch it. You know, it's only about an hour and now hour and a half or so. Uh, so go check it out on Hulu. And come back and get into the deep dive. But we're going to talk all about it. Uh, but before we dig into it, I got to do my weekly check-in with my man Pots and Pants, Nick Bacone. How are you doing tonight, my good brother? Oh, man, I love this thing. This is great. Just a little snippet. You can't play <laughs> too much of it because we'll probably get some cease oh, yeah. and desist letters if you don't own that song. <laughs> They're like, yeah, but it's the Straight Shooters podcast. I'm like, okay, we're sorry. Like, we'll, we'll knock it off. But, uh, yeah, man, I'm I'm here. I'm uh, it's been been a wild ride the last two weeks. Uh, you know, we didn't didn't really get to do this last week, which is uh, you know, I even put it on our Twitter, and then I just quote tweeted it for this week. So we're finally doing it. But uh, you know, I have two cats, man, and my mom was always the care, primary caregiver for them when it came to like vet stuff, and I would you know get the food and clean and do all that stuff. So now I'm, you know, my mother passed away last year, so now I'm the primary caregiver for them, and this is the first time I was able to take them to the vet. And of course, you know they're all messed up now, and uh, I'm just hoping that they're okay. And so we couldn't do the show last week because I'm when I get like in a in a 
situation where I'm overwhelmed, uh, that's the only thing that matters, like, at that point. So I was like, I'm still kind of freaking out over these cats, but, uh, you know, just hoping that it, it, it gets better as, as we move on. And uh, I'm... I'm glad we actually picked this week to do the David Arquette documentary and not do something else because uh, it was very interesting to me. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about it throughout the course of this episode, but a uh, little interesting that they called it a documentary. That's all I'll have to say right now. <laughs> yes, uh, there are some, uh feels like some story arcs happening in the midst of this uh, here documentary. Uh, we're not going to go... I mean, we're going to talk about specific scenes in the movie, but for the sake of everyone's time, uh, we're not going to go necessarily scene by scene like we did with maybe Ready to Rumble and uh, Beyond the Mat, uh, where we did go scene by scene. And when we did that, those podcasts were well over three hours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I thought those were going to be the shorter ones, but they wound up being the longer ones. Right. Uh, at least, you know, beyond the mat, there's a lot to talk about. Ready to rumble. We probably didn't have to dive as deep as we did, but that's what we do. You know, yeah, we dive yeah, pretty that deep. Is, that is. Can you show a penis or no? <laughs> Kid, that is a line from, you know, that's from the I documentary, right? You know I had to. <laughs> that's, from the, that's from the David Arquette documentary, I, I have right? 18, I have 18 of these, yes. So. Oh, my God. Like I said, I I'm I'm, might not use all of them, but um, there are certain ones that, I will try to fit in. And by the way, I, I have the soundboard in front of me with, uh, you know, the clips that I name myself. Vaughn cannot see that. So if you, it, like, hear him talking, and I think it's, like, a good timing and it may be, like, an error on my part, <laughs> I'm going to play something, and it, it might interfere a little bit because Vaughn can't see it. But, uh, you know, it'll make me laugh, and that's what matters, right? Yeah, so don't don't hit me up saying like why did why did he interrupt you with that? Like, look, I have no control over it. <laughs> I got nothing to do with it, so that's just how it's gonna be here on the straight shooters. But um, <laughs> uh, we will obviously get back into other deep dives in the near future uh, about wrestling shows, you know, wrestling events. So if you have a request you want to pass along for one of those deep dives, please head over to Patreon. Patreon.com slash shooters radio. Uh, put in, pay the nominal fee of only two bucks a month, and you can put in your request, and we shall fulfill said request, as well as give you the floor to give your thoughts on the show. About five minutes or so, uh, you can join the show for and give your thoughts on the show, and of course, we'll deep dive into it as well. So do that, and we'll have a blast with it. It should be a lot of fun, but this one we're going to have a lot of fun with. Like I said, you cannot kill. David Arquette. And like I said, we're not going to go scene by scene, but we will going to do. We are going to do is going to kind of break it up into segments because it's a point of the movie, of the documentary where you kind of get introduced to David Arquette. You ca- they kind of recap what happened in WCW, what happened kind of to his career as a result, right, and how he felt coming from that and how he wanted to get back into wrestling so we're going to go into like oh he wants to get back into wrestling he wants to kind of redeem himself and but yet he gets rejected and then we're going to dive into him kind of on the comeback trail training in various places and then when he finally gets back into the good graces and he's working shots left and right like he was in 2017 2018 ish and then we're going to cover we're going to cover a lot of ground right we're going to cover uh we're going to cover the whole thing, but we're going to break it up kind of into segments here uh, for this year's show. But let's 
get into some background about the documentary itself, shall we? Let's. All right. Well, You Cannot Kill David Arquette, released in August of 2020, uh, which, of course, was during the pandemic last year. Uh, So I don't know if this is ever intended for theatrical release, uh, but it was not released in theaters. So there is no box office information about it. I'm not sure. I would assume it was straight to streaming platforms like Hulu. So that's why I watched it, and that's why you watched it as well, Nick, right? Yep. All right. Uh, upon its release, it got very positive reviews. I mean, mm-hmm. Rotten Tomatoes, 83% of Rotten Tomatoes. That's pretty high. Uh, I think, after watching it, probably slightly higher than necessary. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> like, slightly, a little higher than I would have given it. Um, but generally positive res- reviews. The audience score is even higher, 91% on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, that's to me, and I liked the documentary. I thought that was very, very high for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, on IMDb, seven point two out of ten. I think it's more in the range. I'll probably go for this uh, in the seven or seventy range or whatever. But that's what it got. Generally positive reviews. Uh, the documentary was written and directed by David Darg and Price James. Uh, Darg has done a lot of documentaries, uh, none of which that are particularly like widely famous, but uh, you know, he's been out here doing stuff uh, as a journalist and as a documentarian for quite a while. Uh, so he has a lot of documentaries to his credit. And then, of course, you got Price James, who doesn't really have a ton of uh, feature-length films to his credit. He's a comedy and director, comedy director and scriptwriter. But like I said, his, his, his this is his lone writing credit as far as a feature film. Uh, he has directed a, a handful of other like video shorts, but that's what he's done as far as that's, those are his credits as far as his uh, career. Of course, this centers around David Arquette, who is kind of is pretty famous, right? Like, I'd say so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's not necessarily A list at this point, but I think most people, when they see David Arquette, they know who he is, mm-hmm. especially people our age, because, you know, we grew yeah, up with Scream, yeah. <laughs> and that was a m- massive movie franchise. But the thing is about scream and about david arquette's career is that it was oddly kind of the beginning of his downfall in his career this is kind of where we start off with the documentary and that they pretty much recap everything that's happened that happened from that time period of when he was a budding star in hollywood uh and he comes from a family of actors his father was an actor his grandfather was a comedian and of course his sister patricia arquette is uh, She's pretty famous, and she's one of the most accomplished actors or actresses alive today. I mean, she's won, you name an award, she's won it, <laughs> right? Yeah. Academy, SAG, um, Golden Globe, Patricia Arquette has done everything and has won a lot of stuff. Uh, so his family is known in Hollywood. But uh, at one point, David Arquette was ready for his stardom. Right, and uh-huh. things took a shift. But let, let me just run through some things he did. Of course, he did Ready to Rumble. He did all four of the Scream movies, which again were huge. He did Eight Legged Freaks, Sea Spot Run, Three Thousand Miles to Graceland, and then of course he married Courtney Cox, which was a big look for him because oh, Courtney yeah. Cox, when they got married, was one of the biggest was was as a list as it got because Friends was a massive show back in the day. I never watched Friends. Uh, I but didn't wa- I didn't watch it when it was on the air, but I watched it on streaming. So 
It was funny. You like it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was never into Friends, but you can't deny the star power of the cast members on the show, including Courtney Cox and Jennifer Aniston. And David Schwimmer was a man back in the day, bro. Like, he was the yeah. guy. Like, yeah. You know? So big stars came out of that show and them together, they met on the set of Scream. And even Courtney Cox says at one point, well, she's in this documentary, which I was kind of surprised by because that's his ex-wife yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, but they met on the set of Scream 1. They didn't like each other on Scream 2. They got married on Scream 3. And by Scream 4, they were divorced. <laughs> so <laughs> it's interesting how that nice happened. little timeline. Right. Uh, but David Arquette, I mean, hasn't done a whole lot since that time though i mean he has recently been in a couple of movies that i've seen or have known of one including 12 hour shift which he produced co-produced with his wife current wife uh christina mcclarty maquette uh he's also in a movie called spree which i have seen i haven't seen 12 hour shift uh, i'm familiar with it but i haven't seen it i have seen Sh- spree though and he still can act it's not like he's not talented he's still very good at, at what he does uh, but that movie Spree, I think, is a good movie. Uh, it stars the guy from Stranger Things who plays—he plays Steve. I can't remember his real name off the top of my head. But you know, have you seen Stranger Things? I have. Okay, yeah. so you know who Steve is. Yeah. Uh, he is the main character of this movie, and David Arquette plays his father in the movie. So, so that's what David Arquette's been up to uh, in recent years. But and they talk about—it's really. I think kind of Christina McClarty and Patricia Arquette both talk about how, and first, Christina McClarty Arquette, his wife, is a kind of a big deal in Hollywood right now. She was a broadcast journalist. She worked for Entertainment Tonight at one point. She interned for Hillary Clinton, and she she was acting when Young and the Restless. Was like, my mom watched Young and the Restless all the time when I was a kid. Like, <laughs> so that was like her favorite soap opera. But now she's like a producer. And Hollywood, including, like I said, 12-Hour Shift, which also not only stars David Arquette, but also has Mick Foley. I don't know if you knew that. Mick Foley makes not. a brief appearance in that. that. So we might have to cover that one day. Who knows? But, that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she talked about how him, David Arquette, getting the role as officer, officer, uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, and scream. I guess it was Dewey. Was it Dewey? Yeah, that, that sounds familiar to me. Dewey. That's what I was gonna say before you said it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Dewey. Let me. I can double check. I guess as far as his um. Yeah, Dwight. His actual Dewey name Riley. in there. Deputy, Dwight Dewey Riley. There you go. Deputy Dwight Dewey Deputy. Riley. <laughs> right there you go. So when he took that role. Before he took that role, he was like on the cover of Vanity Fair, yeah, yeah. and it was seen as like one of these budding next wave of actors in Hollywood. It was, and on this cover was him, Leonardo DiCaprio, Matthew McConaughey, and Will Smith, and I think Benicio del Toro was on there. Like all these guys have gone on to do tremendous things. Like these are like they are A-listers now in Hollywood. David Arquette, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> So, but that's where he was at that point, and then he did Scream, where according to Christina McClarty, Arquette, that's what got him. That's what began the downfall because after Scream, he got kind of typecast right. as a goofball, and then not long after that, he started doing pro wrestling, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which and he then he did Ready to Rumble, yeah. 
which I'm sure did not help his typecastness, right? I wouldn't think so. No, I, didn't, I don't think so either. And of course, when he got to WCW, he was promoting the movie Ready to Rumble. And they came up with the bright idea to make David Arquette the world heavyweight champion. Man. That just makes you want to watch WSW, right? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, champion of the world. Those mic skills, baby. Oh, yeah. Can't teach those. (laughs) Cannot teach that. And you cannot kill David Arquette. Because even (laughs) after that, he's still wrestling out here. (laughs) So he wins the world title, even though he didn't really want to win it, but he won it. And it's funny because even at the end, the very end of this documentary, they talked to Brian Pillman Jr., yeah, which I thought was a, a very poignant interview to have where yeah. he talks about, like, David Arquette will always be family to me because the money he made from winning the world title, he donated to my family, which, of course, Brian Pillman Jr. is the son of Brian Pillman, who passed away in 1997. So he donated part of his money to Brian Pillman's family and the other portion to Owen Hart's family. So, like, that? in every single dime of it, which is, like, that's that's really dope of him to do. It is. And I don't know if it was reported, but I, if it was and I read it, I totally forgot it. So, I was like, I was like, wow, really? I th- felt like I didn't know that. So, that's awesome when I heard that. It, I, it, it was crazy. I remember, I think, and they showed, they showed a clip of it on the documentary of DDP talking about, uh, you know, why... You know, the 24 7, remember the 24 7 Wrestlers Roundtable stuff they would do? And they, they were talking to DDP about David Arquette winning the title. Yeah, I think yeah, on yeah. that episode, he mentioned that he gave the money to gotcha. Brian Pillman and Owen Hart's family. They didn't show it show in the it documentary the, itself. Right, right. Okay. They had Brian Pillman Jr. say that, which was, I mean, that's right. a more, that's a better, more effective way of getting that message across, in my opinion. Um, but mm. yeah, so th- there's a silver lining there from that. But they, then they talk about how him winning the world title, not only it derailed his career kind of in Hollywood, mm-hmm. but it ruined wrestling. <laughs> like, <laughs> they, multiple people talked about, especially the fans, like, it killed the wrestling business. I, I don't know. How did you feel about that? Because that I, felt, kind of felt weird to me. It, it, I never even saw this, but this line from Vince Russo got me. Right then and there, I think I killed the business forever. And I don't think he was being sarcastic about that. So, uh, at least, no. you know, in the documentary, you know, that specific interview, uh, I think he realized uh, he he got what he wanted out of, like, Vince Russo got what he wanted, headlines, but at the expense of the wrestling business. And <laughs> I think he realizes that. So, uh, and I honestly, as a viewer, this was even in 2000, so not even 2001, so... WCW was on a downward trajectory from like late 98 to, you know, 99. They did some good stuff in 99, but not enough. And by the middle of 1999 and the end of 1999, I was totally like off board with WCW. I was like, clearly WWF's like just skyrocketing and I'm going to throw all my attention to that. I still watch WCW, still tape the Nitros, but I didn't uh, consume that product the way I did 
1996, 1997, 1998. It was a totally different feel to it, and it felt like WCW just became the corny brand where, like, if you watch WCW, it was almost like, ew, like, you watch that, you don't watch WWF, like, that's weird. It wasn't even a wrestling thing. It was that, why would you watch WCW? Like, <laughs> it was uh, one of those things <laughs> where, you know, I, even though I was... I was in the mindset of collecting as much as I could. I would tape ECW, get ECW stuff. Same with WCW, but WWF was like the number one uh, in, in my life at the time. So uh, when David Arquette won the title, I was just kind of like, of course WCW did that. You know, like, because of course they would. And I was like, oh, that's such a embarrassment to wrestling. Like, because, you know, I've, I've said before, I'm a, kind of a snob when it comes to that. You know, like, even the people that came aboard during the Attitude Era, I was kind of like, oh, you're not real wrestling fans. I'm a real wrestling fan. <laughs> yeah, but same type of, uh, you know, attitude I had towards WCW and like, even the fans, you know, because there, there'd be fans on Masters Boards that'd be like, yeah, but like, this will this will turn the tide because, you know, a celebrity holding the title, like, that's going to make WCW. Uh, you know, money, it's going to be increase the ratings and stuff. And I was like, get out of here. So <laughs> it was just, I can't yeah, believe they not, did that. that I, I couldn't believe they did it then, and I still can't believe they did it now. But yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't see it. There was no good reason to do it, but I still think it's unfair to kind of ostracize David Arquette for it, though, because it wasn't like he, I agree. He didn't come in, he didn't say, demanded. put the belt on me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. He didn't demand to win the title. He, if anything, he said, no, 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 please don't give me the belt. Yeah, but that's, what, like that's what I think that's what they even said, yeah. They DDP. persisted. They, was, they were like, no, you have to win. So, And I think DDP said it at one point. It was like, all right, if you're in that situation, what would you do? You don't wanna, you're not going to win the world championship? Of course you are. This is your life. This, how many opportunities in your life do you get a chance to win the, a world heavyweight championship? So at, even though you might have... An adverse reaction at first. Eventually, you, it won't take much to, to for you to uh, cave in and be like, "All right, I right, guess right. I'll win your world championship." <laughs> yeah. uh, you got driver hard bargain, I tell you. Like, come on now. <laughs> so, if you're a fan, I don't understand why they. I don't understand why they like don't dislike him so much. Like, it's just it kind he didn't of, kill uh, the wrestling business. He, he himself didn't. Uh, there was uh, the interview they had with one of those indie super fans, and he was talking about how this is like later in the documentary, and he was talking about how uh, I think his name was Brendan Creasy, was it? And he said, uh, "Indie fans are the lifeblood of the wrestling business, and oh, uh, man. to get the respect of indie fans is true redemption." And I was kind of was like, "Okay, whatever," uh, but okay. that's not it's not that, that not type of mindset. It's that type of mindset that I think, uh, you know, you had a, you, you couldn't blame more than one person. If you're an indie super fan, you have to pinpoint it to one person. That person was the face with the championship. It was David Arquette. And that's, you know, that's kind of how th those fans back then felt. I mean, it, I, I'm putting myself back in my wrestling fandom back in 1999, 2000 era. And I remember, like, I just explained, like, I was like, wow, WCW sucks, but. I wasn't mad at David Arquette. I was. I knew the business by that point. I knew like they made the decision to put it on him that he didn't really win it. And I was like, that's so stupid for WCW to do. So I was more annoyed at WCW as a whole than David Arquette. And I never had that angst or anger towards him that a lot of other fans did. Right. And 
it just didn't make any sense to me to to, to pinpoint him in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's weird when he went to the the, the Brian Knob show in Detroit, the Legends of Wrestling <laughs> show, and then like he there's a fight that broke out for some reason that didn't really like shoot it properly. Which I'm like, what, what was that all about? Is that even like a was that kayfabe? Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's hey, we're gonna do this. That's what it felt like. It felt a little staged, in my opinion. Right, it felt a little worked there. But you know, David Arquette wasn't treated like one of the boys, and he really wanted that. You know, he right. really wanted yeah. that acceptance uh, for whatever reason. I don't know why. And everybody was like, I don't know why he's doing the wrestling stuff. Like back in when he, back when he first did it, Courtney Cox is like, I don't know why he was doing it. <laughs> like, yeah. you're not a wrestler, bro. Like. You have a career, and here you're pretty much leveraging it just to live out your wrestling fantasy. And his wife, current wife, Christina McClarty, was like, I don't know why he wants to do it. Like, he doesn't have to. Like, Patricia Arquette, mm, he just loves it. <laughs> like, don't get it. And David Arquette isn't like some poor kid from the middle of nowhere. Like, he grew up in a family, like I said, of entertainers, which is probably why he maybe felt more inclined to take the risk. Because he had, you know, I don't know how much he struggled in his life, or as like financially. I don't know. Maybe I'm tripping, but I don't know if you come from a family of entertainers, how much you're struggling. Like maybe you could be struggling entertainers, but Patricia Arquette has won every th- every award there is imaginable. I don't know, like <laughs> how you know. So maybe that would gave him the impetus to be like, oh, I'll do it, take the risk. Why not? Because where others may not have taken that risk, right. but. When he when he got like kind of thrown out of the wrestling show in Detroit, it made me think about like gatekeeping and wrestling, right? And the I guess the positives, which usually there aren't any, right? Positives to gatekeeping, and of course there are a lot of negatives. I think when it comes to the wrestling business itself, it might be sort of necessary because you just don't want anyone. To come in, like a David Arquette, and potentially make a mockery of it. Which is what David Arquette did, not under his own volition. He didn't intentionally do that. It's just that's what happened. And I think that's why people were back in the 60s and 70s or so, like, they were... Those gates were strong back in the day. <laughs> like you, you, It was like a secret society in order to become a wrestler. <laughs> not everybody could just come in and do it. They would pretty much beat people up and make people chase people off from doing it. And the people that stuck around was the ones that got, you know, smartened up and became part of the business. Now, I think the gatekeeping hurt wrestling in one sense in that it probably prevented a lot of people, a lot of black people from not getting to the top of the business from the top to the top of the cards. You know what I'm saying? They probably wasn't gatekeeping as far as race and ethnicity, too, which is not good, obviously. Um, but I think some of it was necessary again to avoid having people like David Arquette coming in and doing whatever we, they want because you, you so one of the things you hear from some of the old time guys is like oh man, they just let anybody wrestle nowadays and you look at the wrestlers of today as opposed to the wrestlers of before they look a lot different <laughs> you know what I mean? they look a lot different and you see a lot of uh, people who talk about wrestling is like oh wrestling's for everybody wrestling should be fun and whatever that's not that was not the mentality 40, 50 years ago. You know, that wrestling's for everybody. Wrestling should be fun. And everybody should be able to do it. And da-da-da-da. You know, yeah, I, hey, I'm with it. If you want to live out your dream, go ahead. But when it comes to the top of it, like a WCW or now WWE or an AEW, 
you got to be careful on how you who you let in and how you at least how you use them, right? Mm-hmm. So like Bad Bunny, they didn't give him the world title. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, there's a limit. There's a cap on what a celebrity should be doing, right? Winning world titles is beyond the cap. Now, you know, because look, when it comes to like the NFL or the NBA. Does everybody get to live out their NBA dreams? <laughs> no. If you're not tall enough, if you're not athletic enough, you're not going to be a hooper. You're not a hooper. The NBA is the toughest because I think they have like the smallest roster too. Yeah, so. it's only 15 guys in the roster. Yeah. Something like that. So does everybody get to be an NFL player? Hell no. That's just not how that works. There's a lot of talented players, man, that never get to the NFL. And they got 53 <laughs> uh, uh, person rosters. So plus... Plus 10 practice squad guys. Yeah, so you're looking yeah. at 63 players on 32 teams. And there's no still minor league. thousands. None of that. Right. And there's still thousands of players who never even get invited to a training camp, let alone yeah. play in a game right. or be on an active roster. You know what I'm saying? So not everybody gets to do it. And I think some of that can be the same for wrestling, but it just seems like the. All bets are off. Everybody gets to do it to mm-hmm. a certain extent, which I can see the positives in that because it's, you know, hey, everybody gets to do it. Everybody it's for fun. But there's also you run the risk of, uh, in some instances, maybe potentially making a mockery of it. It's not, you know, the reason why the NFL is, is so special because now everybody gets to do it. You know, yeah, it's a it's a real accomplishment to get drafted into the NBA. You know, I don't know. Maybe I'm looking at that the wrong way. But when it comes to fandom, I think that's when we have a real big problem with gatekeeping. I don't see any positives in that at all. You see that a lot of times with, you know, people rag on quote-unquote casual fans or, yeah. you know, they, when Bad Bunny first started popping up on WWE TV, you had all these goofy wrestling fans clowning Bad Bunny fans. And it's like, why? They, yeah. they like the same thing you like. <laughs> it's like... You you can't clown and you can't clown WWE or any promotion for trying to get casual fans and as soon as they come around, you clown them and then they you chase them off. Yeah, and like then who wants? Yeah, you, and then they complain. Yeah, outside of why would you want to be a part of wrestling Twitter? Uh, right. It's, yeah. If you're an but, outsider, why would you want to be a part of wrestling Twitter? Honestly, like you venture into that territory, you're like oh what in the hell, and you chase them yeah. off and they never come back. <laughs> Is definitely not something that I like, uh, you know, seeing, uh, watching it. it. It's ridiculous because they're the same exact people that'll say, this is why there's, you know, issues with WWE in the mainstream. And then they bring in like Bad Buddy, but, you know, they turn around and say, like, oh, AEW bringing in Shaq is like a, a great idea. Like the TNT bond and all that. And I'm like, eh, maybe not. Maybe not. I, and I, I, I don't mean to make it into a WWE AEW thing. That's just the first thing that popped in my mind because they were around the same time frame when they, they started this. It's really started all the way back in January because he Bad Buddy had a, a performance at the Royal Rumble. So it's really been building for, for months. And then you had like Shaq come on AEW. It's like, well, what's the difference in that? Like I you had even uh, Snoop Dogg in AEW like doing a dive off the top row. People loved it, but... You know, once the casual fans come in, they're like, hey, that was pretty dope. Be like, yeah, but Snoop Dogg, he's stupid. He's not a real wrestler. Right. And those are like the pro WWE people. 
the pro WWE people like chime in. It's like, yo, just shut up. Like that's for me. Wrestling Twitter is like a, a toxic place that I, I, you know, sometimes I get involved with in terms of like trying to find at least answers to interesting questions. But the whole uh, dynamic and the whole discourse in wrestling Twitter is uh, not very good for lack of a better term. It's not very healthy for your, for there your you mentals yeah. at all. No, not at all. Which, not at all. Twitter, I mean, in, in just, a nutshell, is not healthy for <laughs> mentals, but it, it, when you break fair. it into NBA Twitter, wrestling Twitter, different Twitters, uh, you know, it's even worse. It could be rough. It could be rough, rough world out there, but um, I just think that, you know, gatekeeping and fandom, it just, I, I don't think it helps the business. I don't think it helps wrestling when we chase fans off who might be interested but then they get a sense of how the fans treat kind of outsider fans and casual fans. It's just like, uh, what? Like, yeah. just because they don't know who Kenny Omega is or know about Dragon, you know, Dragon Gate or, <laughs> um, you know, whatever. They don't know Will Ospreay or something like that. That's because they don't know who these people are. Doesn't mean that they're not worthy of liking the same thing that you like or they're not as good of a fan as you are. You know, no, that's not how that works. Introduce it to them. Like, hey, if you like this, wait till you get a load of Will Ospreay. Wait till right. you get a load of Jay White. Like, check out these guys over here. Check out Walter and NXT UK. Check out, you know, whoever. Whoever that may be. You know what I'm saying? Check these yeah. guys out. Like, you, you think that's dope? Look at this. Like, don't just clown them for it. I just, I just don't understand that. But it all comes back to me. At the end of the day, when you talk about either gatekeeping fans or people getting on David Arquette for winning the world title, it's like, at the end of the day, for one, that did not kill WCW. That did not kill the business, neither. Like, there are way more of the things that killed WCW, and there are way other, way more things that contributed to the uh, decrease in television viewers or whatever than David Arquette. Get out of here. That's not David Arquette's fault. But at the end of the day... Let's not let's not lose sight of the fact, even though the, the world titles are prestigious and all this and that, none of this is real. <laughs> At the end of the day, let's not get carried away. All right, let's not get carried away. Let's not forget. Let's not forget that. It, but somebody's deciding who wins and loses. Like that's still what happens at the end of the day. All right. So we talked about that a couple weeks ago when Bobby Lashley won a title. Like this, if this was a meritocracy. The the yeah. lineage of WWE champions would probably be a lot blacker, but <laughs> instead, because yeah, right. somebody's choosing who the world title champions are, it's not quite as black as it probably would be otherwise. So let's not lose sight of that at the end of the day. Um, but we get you know look at a little bit of uh, for one we get David Arquette admitting that he's pretty much a functioning alcoholic. Yeah. Um. Which is that's sad, you know. Yeah. Talk about his brain and how it has complex results. It's not connected in a typical way, which I don't really know what the hell that means. Doesn't sound good though. Um, and then we learned that he was born in a commune. We <laughs> you know his family stayed in a commune where there was no electricity, no running water, no bathroom and stuff like that, and and that their mom was abusive. This is what Patricia Arquette said that their mom was abusive. So that sounds that doesn't sound great. Even though he grew up in a family of entertainers and. Uh, probably didn't really hurt for money, but an abusive childhood is an abusive childhood. That that affects everybody the same, regardless of uh, socioeconomic status, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but this begins David Arquette's journey 
his redemption story, so to speak, right? <laughs> and apparently, the only booking available to David Arquette, again, former world champion, every wrestling fan pretty much knows who this guy is because he's a former world champion, and also celebrity, right? Let's, yeah. let's not act like David Arquette's some schlub. Yeah, he admits that his career has not been great, and... It could have gone much better, and that he said he had been auditioning for ten years, and hadn't gotten a role. Which I don't. I guess that's true, but I don't know why he would lie about that. Because we can look on IMDb right now and see if he's gotten a bunch of roles. Um, and he he's been in some stuff. Let's not pretend he hasn't. But <laughs> he, you know, but it uh, it has. Giannis thing, honestly, it could have gone better for David Arquette. You know. But he's been auditioning and auditioning. So, but he's still a, a person, right? He's still a somebody. Like at some point, we see him on Wendy Williams. We saw him on Ellen. Like, come on, that's the biggest talk show there is right now. On Ellen, yeah. He ain't on there because he's a slub. He's a he's a scrub, a nobody. Like, no, he's somebody still. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't put him on here because he was a pro wrestler, all <laughs> right. And they put him yeah. on there because hey, it's David Arquette. We know him. <laughs> so, but despite all that. The only booking he could get in pro wrestling, mind you, this is professional wrestling, the independents, where they are starving to sell tickets. They would damn near do anything to sell some tickets. You know how many carnies exist on the independents? <laughs> right? You telling me none of these indie promotions wanted to book David Arquette? I find that kind of a stretch. Uh, yeah. All right. The wrestling business does not have that much integrity. Okay? <laughs> right? <laughs> Put to put it mildly, yeah, yeah, not uh, definitely felt like it does not. We didn't see a lot of maybe uh, promoters reaching out to him or him reaching out to other promoters or, or either or. But this was uh, an interesting first appearance back. I'll say that <laughs> right. His first booking that we see on this documentary is words. from Keywords. he gets a call. He gets a call from a promoter named Chris Harris. Not Wildcat Chris oh, Harris, Walker. a different Chris Harris. <laughs> Ray, Ray Who was an impact not that long ago, right? Wasn't he yeah, impact? Well, he made like one, it was like the James Storm episode, like a 1,000th match or something. So, yeah, he was there for that yeah. one, but I don't know if he's been there since. AMW was a dope tag team back in the day. I don't know what the hell happened to it Chris was, Harris. It, they, you know, TNA's tag team division was... Reminiscent of the WWF tag division of the 2000, 2001, 2002 era. So, very, very good. entertaining. But this Chris Harris is promoter of Richmond X Wrestling. And you're probably like, what the hell? What is that? It doesn't even sound right. <laughs> <laughs> and I put like, it's weird to see a guy that I've seen growing up in multiple movies and television shows or whatever, and he's taking, he's here taking a sigh of relief. To get an independent booking in wrestling. <laughs> and, he, and it's not only is he getting an independent booking, it's a backyard promotion. I mean, and it's yeah. as backyard as backyard can get. <laughs> I right? have no clue what that ring was made of. <laughs> <laughs> Before he gets to that promotion, though, he does the uh, the convention because he wanted, you know, because there's, there's a convention beforehand. At the, you know, there's a convention and then there's an event, which 
I don't know how the two were connected. He just kind of went to the convention, which was also in Richmond, Virginia, and he went to this backyard show. But he goes to the convention, right? <laughs> After he got some photos taken and he did that the whole nine to get that for the eight by elevens, and it was a pretty modest convention, right? It wasn't like a big old Comic Con, yeah. you know, that you can you know, see around the country. Scott Hall and Eric Bischoff were there. You know what I'm saying? Those two big names. But they shoot, you know, everybody's got a line, but there's no line at Derek David Arquette's table. <laughs> it's like the Virgil line. Right, but am I tripping or is that do I find that hard to believe? That no one wanted to meet David Arquette. Did they shoot that at a point where David Arquette was they just had chilling the, uh, in the roadblocks around it, and then they just put the camera inside to make it look like no one was uh... something. They had to be. There's no. You mean just telling me none of these wrestling fans who are probably our age, you know, maybe there were some who are too young to know who David Arquette is, which is possible, right? But if you're our age, just for a scream alone, I'm wanting to be David Arquette. Yeah. Forget wrestling. Yeah, exactly. That's still Officer Dewey. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like. <laughs> What? That's the first person I would have met. I can see Scott Hall and Eric Bischoff at a number of conventions. I'm not going to see David Arquette at every wrestling convention. Yeah, he's probably the I'd first, have been first one. in line to see he's him. The, he's the first one alphabetically, too. Of course you want to see him. Right. He's by far still the most famous person there. <laughs> no disrespect to Scott Hall, who I know was in WCW and everybody. You know, look, Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, was on WWF television and WCW television when WCW was at his peak. That is not as big as Scream. <laughs> like, I don't care what nobody say. No. Not as big as Wes Craven's Scream, bro. Let's not, let's not, let's not even go there. Especially for people our age, I think. Come on now. And this is when they talk about how, like, you know, how it pissed them off that, you know, a couple fans that they interviewed, you know, pissed them off that David Arquette won the title and that he killed the business again, as if it was his fault. Like, who the hell was he supposed to say? <laughs> Blame the person that's at the convention. His name is Eric Bischoff. He's right there. Blame him. <laughs> he literally took the blame he in the beginning fun. of this documentary. Like, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, but we like his podcast, like, so it's now. not his fault. <laughs> hey, no, this, come on now. I, I wrote like it's also like people forget that this isn't real. <laughs> like. And WCW has gone out of business. And so why are we so still like so angry over the fact that WCW's title went to David Arquette? WCW doesn't even exist anymore. Did he help the business? No. But he didn't kill it. Come on now. He didn't kill it. He definitely hurt it, but he didn't kill it. Like, I, I don't know. And then we get to look at him posing with New Jack and a knife, which I would not do. Um... <laughs> But the, my favorite, one of my favorite parts of the documentary is right here after the convention, we get to meet independent wrestler Rick Kelly, who is being interviewed in his gear while sitting in the back of his old school shag wagon, pumping iron. <laughs> if this guy is an independent pro wrestling, I don't know what is. <laughs> <coughs> Those vans always look super suspect, too. Never trust those old-school shag wagons with the bed in the back. Those things were very popular in the 70s and 80s. 
Um, and I guess it, it yeah. works if you're an independent guy not making a ton of money. You don't have to worry about flying out somewhere or you don't have to worry about getting a hotel. Sleep right in the back uh-huh. of that damn van. <laughs> That's right. So now he pulls up to the backyard show. And I put my suspicions were correct. This is a backyard fed. Because <laughs> I looked up the YouTube page and I was like, this looks like a backyard promotion. Like. <laughs> And it was. I don't even know they had a not, YouTube page. So, oh, I, I looked it up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I looked it up, and I wrote like I'm not sure if this technically counts as being a part of the quote unquote the business. <laughs> you know, I, none of these guys are properly trained. The ring breaks in the middle of the show. the <laughs> The first guy through the curtain, I can see his ribs through his chest, like. <laughs> you know what this kind of reminds me of that uh that show where that uh little huskier guy video was on twitter a while ago uh where he's like on the second rope you know cheering to the crowd or whatever and then jumps down and breaks both of his knees oh my god that it reminded Awful. like it was this type of show. It felt like where that happened. I was like, "Wow, is this the show where that actually happened?" But I don't think it was. But uh, definitely reminded me of that. So, by the way, if you haven't seen that boys. video yet, I I have, not, and it was awful. Yeah, I would not. Uh, if anyone listening hasn't seen it, uh, don't go out of your way to look for it because it was ugh, look, it was nasty. You say that as soon as you say that, somebody's going to Google that right now. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I'm, don't I'm watch this. Sucker. That means I'm going to watch it right I'm now. I'm a sucker for the gruesome injuries. Like I'll watch videos and stuff, and I, I'll go ooh. Uh, so, but uh, I know other people like a warning. And I'm just telling you, if you're squeamish, you do not want to see this video. But they're both of his legs just snap. Like think Sid. At uh, the WCW pay per view, I think that was uh, Sin, right? Where he jumped yeah, down. Yeah, one of those late legs. So late latter day WCW yeah. shows like yeah. Sin. Or Gr- they're doing like those. the Seven Deadly Sins. Yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, I, I didn't think that was a terrible thing. I w- would like to see them sing that out. Like Sin was kind of like cool greed, like a revenge. Yeah, it was kind of cool. I kind of give. WCW a little bit of credit because at least they were trying stuff back before they like died. <laughs> they didn't just like go out with a whimper in a way. They were just trying new stuff. It was like, oh, cool. Gluttony doesn't sound like a good show though. <laughs> oh, but that, I guess yeah, greed would have been it. I don't know. Well, they already did. They had a greed. They had a uh, sin, right. and then it was like Super Brawl Revenge. So I guess they would do seven in a row. I don't. I guess not. You can space it out with twelve months or or seven, could seven you imagine? WCW lust <laughs> in 2001. W- <laughs> WCW sloth. Mm, we're gonna order that. WCW pride, baby. Come on. Oh man. I would have. Hopefully, WCW they would have came up wrath. with that. Maybe they would have added it to uh, an existing pay per view like they did with Super Brawl. So. Super Brawl lust. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have all evening gown matches. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, yeah. This whole thing reminded me though of like when I wrote a story about New Jersey pro wrestling, which sounds like very New official Japan? promotion. New Japan right? pro wrestling and JPW. No, New Jersey pro wrestling <laughs> and JPW. Yeah, New, New Jersey. No, New Jersey Championship Wrestling. That's what's uh, called NJCW. 
New Jersey Championship Wrestling. Sounds very, very official. And I interviewed the promoters and whatnot. And they were cool. Like, I'm not going to, there's no disrespect to them personally. It's just like, when I wrote the story, I was like, look, these guys aren't trained. They're essentially, essentially a backyard promotion that operates in a building. But they have like maybe 10, 15 people at each show. I don't think anybody gets paid. <laughs> like, <laughs> I wrote it. That's like, hey, man, like, this is also a part of wrestling. People do this backyard style. Like, I didn't really disparage them. And I think one of the guys was like kind of mad at me. I was like, bro, like, what do you want me to do? And lie and say you're the best promotion of all time? Like, I can't say that. Like, it is what it is. You should probably embrace this. Like, hey, we are the guys who just like to come out of here and do it for fun, essentially. So I don't know. But that's what I. <laughs> kind of reminds I... me of somebody like when we started the podcast, like looking for interviews and they're like, can we do it in, in character? I was like, no, like we, we don't want to be that no. podcast where Get out we're of interviewing here. in character. So I wouldn't call ourselves a straight shooters. And yet we keep vaping on. Yeah. yeah. I said, yeah. You stop? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> stop and, and, and get your, get your life together, bro. <laughs> Doing interviews in character. You best, you just better be MJF too. If you're doing it in character. Yeah, that's true. Or a broken map. <laughs> like, other oh, than dude. that, get on out of here. Um, but yeah, in this backyard promotion where there's like six people in, in, in the backyard, <laughs> David Arquette comes out. <laughs> what? With a great gimmick. What, is he doing magic tricks, right? Yeah. Didn't he pull like a, a pipe out of his pants or something like that? Not like... <laughs> Look, and don't get your get your mind out of the gutter. All right, we get to see David Arquette's pipe. We get to see his pipe later on. Not at this point, though. <laughs> I got to see a lot more David Arquette. Right, I got to see a lot more of him in the documentary that I ever wanted to see. Um, but he pulled like was it some type of stick or something like, and he hit the kid over the head with it or something like that. I forget what it was, but he was. He gets all beat up and light tubed up, and he's bleeding everywhere. And it's just like, why? David Arquette <laughs> is in somebody's backyard, getting his ass beat with light tubes by guys who aren't professionally trained. Mm-mm. But it was safer than working with Nick Gage, I guess. <laughs> he didn't get his damn throat cut working with those kids. Oh man! So I don't know. So it's just. We see like stuff with him with his kids, and that's nice. His kids doesn't like it. We get to see him yeah. playing with a puppet. That's weird. Uh, <laughs> By the way, was I was a big strange. fan of like their big furniture in the backyard and stuff. Like that cracked. That me was up. pretty cool, right? Like, like the big had, wood chair. <laughs> you had them sitting on it, like tr- trying to take it seriously as a documentary, but, like this, these interviews. <laughs> right. But they're sitting in like the big, big chair. Like I was cracking up. Yeah, it was it was funny. I, I thought it was cool too. Um, then you know David Arquette goes to Mexico. And he trains with some luchadors, and this is where things look very kind of I guess scripted, so to speak. But before we get to that point, uh, he you know forget the backyard. They're in the street. They're in the middle of the yeah. street in Mexico. <laughs> like, I didn't know this is a thing that happened. Like, Big old highway. Yeah, me neither. It was right. awesome. Four lane intersection where there's cars zooming past but at every red light instead of a guy coming out selling waters or trying to clean your windows there's guys in masks having full-blown matches right in front of you 
and they hit each other with a chair, and once that's done, they walk in between the cars and collect the money. And David Arquette gets out there, and he's trash. <laughs> <laughs> he tries it, and he stinks. And he didn't... Right, he didn't get no money. He didn't get any money when he was trying to collect the money. And them luchadors was mad. <laughs> like, bro, he messed up the whole thing. We trying to get paid, bro. I need this money. He rich. He don't need this money. I need this money, bro. I'm trying to get paid. He out here messing up the hustle. What he doing? He, I guess he redeemed himself at some point when he dove off the ladder or whatever. Yeah, and, yeah. You know. yeah, that was crazy, by the way. I was like, oh, oh God. Like, you know, he's jumping off a ladder, and thank goodness he made it. Because <laughs> that ladder, ladders aren't sturdy when you jump off of them. And that one almost fell just a little bit. And it was concrete waiting for him at the, or yeah. asphalt waiting for him at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But he goes to a lucha show. He takes part in a, in a lucha, like an independent lucha show. There's probably like 20 people in this show. Uh, but still, this is a massive step up from the backyard show. Like, there's an actual ring that looks safe. Not like just some planks with a tarp over it that yeah. breaks in the middle of the show. Oh, man. That's all that ring was in Virginia. It's just some planks with a tarp over it. I don't <laughs> Right? Uh, I don't get it. Well, this this ring had either. yellow ropes, so I dug that. And it was an actual wrestling ring too, in an and, actual and, venue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the logo on the mat, which is uh, brownie points. Look professional, Dan. There. Yeah. I, I look. I, we love wrestling, right? We love wrestling enough to talk about it for a couple of hours every week. Damn near every week. I know we skipped last week. Don't, <laughs> don't. Everybody out there, don't, don't, don't try to catch me. In five years, right? you're gonna have. You're gonna have a couple. Right. But damn near every week. <laughs> we talk about wrestling every week on this podcast for a couple hours. I don't love wrestling enough to get in there somebody's backyard and put my body on the line in a ring that I don't know is even safe. Like maybe maybe I'm just too old for that now. I'm like, man, I maybe maybe I just know too much. Like I I, I know the risk involved where as far as like the ring ain't safe. You take one false step like homie did. When he broke both of his legs, jumping off the turn, just jumping off the turn, the, this middle rope messed both his legs up. You know, how do, how do you get workman's confidence? How, how does this man work after that? You know what I'm saying? Like, he broke both of his legs. I hope he works from home on a computer or something like that. But I don't love it enough to do that. Maybe when I was 20, 21, I might have. More of a risk taker. Uh, but not at 32. Hell no, I ain't doing that. You crazy? <laughs> So, but David Arquette did, but he did go to the Lucha show. They had a mariachi band the whole time at the Lucha show, which is awesome. I thought that was pretty yeah. dope, yeah. <laughs> actually. <laughs> um, but the but the best part of this portion of the doc was that he got a mask from one of the luchadors. They actually took it off their heads and gave it to David Arquette. I thought that was really touching because it's like David Arquette knew what it meant because obviously, right. The mask is everything. That means so much in Lucha Libre. And for someone to give it to you, no matter who they are, this isn't like it's El Santo giving him the mask. You know, it's just some guy we don't even know his name. But that's still very meaningful. And David Arquette yeah. gets kind of emotional. And I'm like, I probably cry too. Like that's that's very meaningful. Like, that's like a very it is. That's, that's a very important thing in their in, in Lucha Libre's heritage. And then for somebody to give that to you, 
that's that's really cool. Like the ultimate sign of respect in in, uh, in Mexican wrestling, and obviously, like if he's not expecting it, it's like holy crap! Like you know, he he's just coming off what that backyard wrestling appearance, and then he he's got a mask in Mexico. Like, and he's been training for a bit. You know, I don't know how long he trained for, but. No, he's been, he was there, and you know they did the thing in the traffic, the, the matches in the traffic. Like he, he earned it. You know, he wasn't given it; he earned it. And I right. think that's kind of what he I'm, realized at that point. Right, and then he walks with the Luchadors to the top of some mountain and yells from the top of a mountain. This, that doesn't feel like a moment that that feels like a moment that was like scripted, right? <laughs> like that now was that a, was uh, <laughs> that was yeah. not an organic moment. Yeah, right. Let's hey guys, let's go to a mountain, let's climb up, and let's scream from the top. Maybe that's maybe that's something that's done in that particular city in Mexico. I don't know. It was well it didn't done. Feel though, like it to me. Know? I like the the whole yeah, camera action. A little shot. Yeah. 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 You know. But uh, it didn't seem like something else necessary for David Arquette's training, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I guess he now is like, all right. This is the point where he's starting to get back into wrestling. I guess this, that was his training because he was training with the Luchadors mm-hmm. as well, doing some moves and whatnot. And now he's ready to get back into the game. I guess now, right? He goes on Wendy Williams, who has her own like Lifetime movie now, which is she's pretty famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he announces his return to pro wrestling, and everybody in Wendy Williams' audience is like, yay, he's he's going to wrestle. <laughs> like, like, They're happy for him, but it's, I'm pretty sure they're like, why is he doing this? Like, he's right. he's somebody. Okay, good for him. I ain't never going to see his matches, though. <laughs> um, meanwhile, his family was like, what the hell is wrong with him? Like, why is he doing this again? <laughs> again. Because meanwhile, he goes to the doctor, and his ribs are in really bad shape, and mm-hmm. He's got chest issues. Doesn't stop him, though, because he buys a ring and puts it in his backyard. And his wife is like, why do we own, we own this? What? <laughs> why? He's going to do what still? Damn. <laughs> wonder if so, Edge went over there so, and uh, worked out with him during his comeback. When he was maybe, hey, maybe once <laughs> or twice, you know. Bumped around with Beth Phoenix a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> You know, mixed tag match Maybe. with uh, Arquette and Christina with Patricia Arquette. Maybe that'd be dope. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be dope. But then we move on. We transition to RJ City, who is a comedian and a wrestler. He's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. He's done a lot of stuff with WWE in the WWE Network. He's like done like a lot yeah. of TV, done some acting. Uh, so he's. He's he's like he I don't know how to describe RJ City as far as like his level of like notoriety because he's not a WWE talent but he's been on WWE programming a lot yeah <laughs> like yeah <laughs> which I'm surprised they've let that happen because he's still an independent wrestler yeah but he's been on WWE TV a lot especially WWE Network as recently as WrestleMania he's been on WWE yeah, YouTube he's channel or that the watch alongs the the bump right. uh, the, the bump? show ever so <laughs> okay <laughs> but yeah i actually didn't know him uh, around this time frame i really only uh got to know him while i i, I saw him like on the i think the bump uh a few months ago and you know that's kind of 
I was like, wow, like he he's funny. Like he was funny on the bump. But I didn't realize he was an actual comedian. I knew he was a wrestler, but uh, he's kind of like a jack of well, all trades type. Uh, yeah, I don't know if he just does like stand up, but he's he's funny. Like he's really right, funny. Right, he's right, done like comedic stuff. Yeah. I don't know if he's like done like stand up or stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, like, <laughs> well, can you, you imagine know. RJ City and Brian Isley? <laughs> oh man, <laughs> on the stage. Oh man, that could happen. That could—that's a thing that could potentially maybe, happen. Maybe, Who knows? Hey, maybe I spoke it into existence. Maybe we gotta. Maybe. Maybe we gotta do something. That's not outside the realm of possibility in this no. crazy world we live in. It's not. Um. So yeah, he—he's—he's he's going to wrestle David Arquette in Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. But before that, we have to see David Arquette get his butt waxed for some reason. <laughs> I was trying to remember earlier when you said I saw too much of him. I was like, wait, did we see like a nude shot? And then I'm trying to remember and I was like, oh yeah. Damn he got, near. He got waxed. He got waxed. <laughs> he got his, not just his chest no. hair or his no. underarm hair. They waxed his butt. <laughs> Which, I mean, look, that's cool. The hair, hair grows down there. <laughs> It probably makes it easier to clean when there's no hair down there, I guess. Oh, here it goes. Right. That don't mean we had to see that, though. That's, I feel like that was crossing, like, that's private, David. Keep yeah. that to yourself. Yeah. Also, keep to yourself getting spray tanned, buck ass oh, naked. Oh, that's, yeah, that too. Right. The only thing that was covered up was his penis. Like, Fortunately, he covered his junk up. <laughs> right. He's standing at attention, getting his damn spray tan on. Glorious. That's pretty much what... He woke up like that, apparently. <laughs> and he looked awful with the spray tan. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't look good with the spray tan. I'm like, no, why did he do this? He was orange. <laughs> he looked normal with just regular old pale yeah, skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like a normal person, right? Yeah, I know he's supposed to be like this functioning alcoholic and he was getting himself into shape, but his skin just looked normal. His skin didn't look bad to me, at least. Maybe I'm tripping. It looked bad to you? Uh, not really, but I guess when you're in Hollywood, you know, you got to do the thing. That's true. That's true, man. When he got the spray tan, he looked stupid. <laughs> and then he sits there and his wife was like, Don't you got to do this thing? He's like, oh man, and he washed yeah. it off immediately. <laughs> and then we got to see him wash it off. We got to yeah, see him get his butt waxed. Now we got to see him in the shower. Why? <laughs> that was something. That was something. Where that I, was something. I, I don't think I have much to add to that. He was but. driving around with spray tan and it's like dripping off his yeah, face and stuff like yeah. that. I was like, oh yep. god, yep, Bruh. He looked awful with the spray tan. It's not an improvement. And it's just crazy how people do that. That's what people do. I mean, I'm black. I have a natural tan, so I don't worry about tanning. <laughs> Is that what people do, though, when they get tanned? They can stand there, buck-ass naked, and like have somebody spray it on them? I guess if they don't do the tanning booth, then yeah, I guess. Uh, right. Or is there is there like people put like creams on, too, maybe? Or am I getting that wrong? I mean, there there could be, but I you wouldn't. I don't know how you would do that. Without like two yeah, or know. three other more people do. <laughs> How much cream could you have for your whole body? Right. You got to cover every or- every piece of it. It looks weird if you don't, right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. That was not necessary, though. 
Uh, I didn't need to see that. But now we get a pretty cool montage of him at Championship Wrestling from Hollywood where yeah. him and RJ City are going through the match. And you see it spliced in with footage of them right. talking, what they're, they're doing exactly what they talked about. Might have been the coolest part of this documentary for, for me, how they just kind of edited that. That was kind of cool. I agree. I, I 100% agree with that. How they And it went exactly how they thought it would. Right. Except for the fact that David Arquette had this big-ass lump on his cheek, which I don't think they <laughs> really bargained for with that. But uh, it went well. Except for the fact they interviewed Jory Ryan. It's like, oh, get out of here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was like, I know this familiar. came out. <laughs> right, this came out probably before, or maybe, I don't know, when those yeah, allegations I'm, came I, out. I think it, it came was. came out last year, though. It did. Um, it could have been before, around the same time. I, I don't know when it debuted on Hulu, but uh, I've. 2020, it could have been. Wait, I, what? What was it like the summer? I think a lot of the allegations for many people, including Joey Ryan, started you know, gaining so. steam. So it was like around the summer. So yeah, I'm kind of surprised that they didn't just kind of yank that at this point. Right, we're watching it, it in April 2021. <laughs> like we're watching it. Why they didn't just take it down and kind of edit that out and put it back up? But I mean. It, it wasn't like he me. was necessary. No, it was not like at all. It was RJ City, and you got to keep RJ City in it. Like it's yeah. not him. It's Jerry Ryan. Was he, it was, was he, interview he wasn't after even the, the promoter, was he? Like he's not a promoter of that. So I don't think I don't. Does, I don't think he promotes championship wrestling from Hollywood. Yeah. He does the bar. He did the bar wrestling stuff. I don't think he, he promotes that but, particular yeah. stuff. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, we could have done without him. But we move on now to like a pretty much a. Uh, a montage of David Arquette making all kinds of shots, and he's being embraced again by the fans. So, like, it was like him training the RJ City stuff, and he now he's hitting the ground running. Now he's at the ECW Arena for House of Hardcore. He's shaving Josephus's hair in NWA, which rest in peace to Josephus. He just passed away in February. Uh, so rest in peace to him. But he's getting a power driver from Jerry Lawler, and he's doing all this stuff, and he's like getting embraced, and you. We I recall vividly like hearing like David Arquette is making shots like he is wrestling like <laughs> yeah he's not just doing it here and there like he was hitting the road making appearances for every for a bunch of indies right so it was like it was weird when we we see him get that one phone call from that one promoter in Richmond Virginia for the backyard fed it's like you you can't tell me that these other indie promoters wouldn't have wanted to pay David Arquette just to at least make an appearance. Maybe not to wrestle, but to make an appearance. And here he is, not that long later, wrestling in tag team matches with RJ City and one-on-one matches. He's making shots all over the place and earning, the, I guess, the respect of wrestling fans and the business. He's being embraced and all that. So um, that's a quick montage there. But I, do you recall that time, uh, you know, two, three years ago maybe, when David Arquette was really... Kind of buzzing on the independent cir- circuit. I vaguely remember seeing like his name pop up. Uh, I wasn't really paying attention to the independents at that point, but if there was videos on, on Twitter, I would, you know, like I follow a certain amount of, uh, you know, wrestling Twitter people, and they're usually the ones that kind of keep me up to date on stuff that I don't, you know, seek out or, or see on my own. 
And I didn't really see anything. I didn't even remember this championship wrestling from Hollywood thing. I thought the first like match he had back was against Nick Gage. Like that's the first video I think I saw. So uh, I didn't realize he had already like been back for a little bit and doing the wrestling thing uh, at this point. Uh, maybe a little bit before, but if I put myself back like what two or three years ago, I couldn't tell you uh, if I one was following it and two it's like David Arquette wrestling again like I really just don't care so <laughs> it was a, a combination of not caring and not seeing like any videos of it so I could like make a judgment on it whether it was cool or not for me I felt like I was seeing videos pop up like every weekend when he was doing shows right, or something right, like that yeah. I didn't go out of my way to, to see him it just mm-hmm. popping up in my feed so I definitely remember David Arquette being out here doing stuff so uh, but then, as you mentioned, he grows against Nick F. and Gage <laughs> in a death match. <sighs> Let's talk about Nick Gage first. <laughs> All right. For those who don't know, Nick Gage is an independent wrestler. He's the current Game Changer Pro Wrestling World Champion. Which Game Changer Wrestling, I said Game Changer Pro Wrestling, Game Changer Wrestling, GCW. Probably one of the more and premier independent promotions going right now. Like they run those shows during WrestleMania weekend. They do like Bloodsport, the the Josh Barnett show. They did uh, the for the culture. They did the Big Gay Brunch. They do a bunch of stuff during WrestleMania weekend. They call it the Collective. That George and Ella Spring Break, and they do shows throughout the year. But he's the current champion. But Nick Gage, of course, is a legendary figure in like deathmatch independent circles because he's in CCW. And he was known for the, he's like the king of the deathmatch. He's also really out here in these streets committing crimes back in the day. Like, <laughs> he was being reported on in yeah. mainstream outlets because uh, mm-hmm. he robbed a bank at one point in 2010. He did. He did. Got caught and sentenced to five years in prison. He got released on parole after he served 85% of his sentence. And again, this man has been to jail, been to prison. Committing crimes and is known for death matches. Why did David Arquette do this uh, match? <laughs> it's beyond me. I my introduction to Nick Gage was after he was arrested and in jail. I went to a Combat Zone wrestling show in 2011, and to get heat, you know, you said it before. There's no like wrestling is not an industry built on integrity, so. Whoever was promoting at the time, I don't remember. I don't even remember who was in the match, like the talent. But uh, like at the very end of the night, they started playing Nick Gage's like music and video or whatever, and people were going nuts. And this had to be maybe a week or two after he was arrested or sentenced. I, I don't remember all of the details because I still wasn't like following uh, that independent wrestling anymore. Until I went to the show, you know, my friends were involved, so I was like, "Yeah, I'll give it a shot." Like it's my first CZW show, and that crowd, and I think I said it before, like that indie crowd is just like not my type of crowd. Like they were so involved in everything, it was like it was real to like really real, real to them. So when Nick Cage's music hit, it was like the best thing ever, and whatever the top heel was at the time comes out. I, I wish I remembered <laughs> who it was and. They were so angry. There was a, I don't want to call him a kid because I really don't know how old he was, but he could have been late teens, early 20s. He was sitting a few seats away from me and like 
at the guardrail, all ready to jump over it, giving the guy the finger, like, yelling, spitting at him, like, F you, you mf -er. Like, I was like, oh, my God, like, this is definitely not my scene, but uh, what a heel move, I guess. Because <laughs> these people loved Nick Gage. Uh, he was their John Cena. He was their Roman Reigns. I don't know. Like, this, he, he was their guy, so... Uh, that was my introduction. People love yeah. them some Nick Gage. Yeah, and that was my like, introduction. You talk to, to Nick him, Gage so. fans. That, I don't know. There are probably, I don't know, there are more passionate fan base for one wrestler than Nick Gage fans. Like, they love, they worship the guy yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Right? They love them some Nick F and Gage. Mm. Right? I just, and then to that extent, I guess that's part of the reason why David Arquette would take a death match against Nick Gage because he has his following <laughs> and he's known for being the toughest of the toughest. So I guess in Arquette's mind, it's like, hey, man, I can get some credibility with this, that, that audience that follows Nick Gage by going up against him in a death match. <laughs> no, because during the match... <laughs> Everything is going okay, as good as it, it can go in a death match. But then all David Arquette gets cut on his neck mm. with a light tube. And things go haywire. He's like reacted, he panicked, rightfully so, because he thought he was gonna die. And he finished the match. He almost left and walked out. He goes back and he finishes the match, gets pinned, and immediately goes straight from the venue. In a car with Luke Perry, who is his real life friend, and of course, the late great Luke Perry, who's you know actor and was on nine hundred two one zero, and yep. and of course, who's in the driver's side? Who's who's driving the car to the yeah. hospital? Yeah, our boy Jungle Boy Jack Perry. Yeah, right. Of course, Luke Perry's son. So they get into the hospital and they show like the blood coming out of his neck. At one point, it's like, yeah. whoa, yeah, this man almost died. Yeah, I was like, hey, by the, by you know then it should have clotted, right? And then they pull the towel off and you see it drip out. It's like, oh, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> Not yet. I was like waiting for, like, I, I was like, oh, like, I by now, like, it seemed like he's all right. But then they pulled the towel back and it just oozed out. I was like, oh, jeez. Yeah, let's let's fix that. Let's <laughs> fix that. I, I, don't, I don't know why he took the death match. It's just... To me, it was a stupid decision, in my he, opinion. If to take he a got busted match. open, like that would seriously injure him. Like he was told that he was on blood thinners because of you know his heart attack and two stents he yep. had. So yeah, he, he, I don't think he was dumb here. He just took the risk for whatever reason. I think it's a stupid decision, bro. Like you're still oh, David yeah, Arquette. Yeah, like, you but, don't have you can. It's bad enough that you are wrestling at all. <laughs> yeah into your late 40s and putting your body on the line. Wrestling is dangerous enough, right? Then you add the element of a death match, and they played all the people, you know, the clips of all the people saying it's stupid, including Jim Cornette. <laughs> which yeah. is, if you want somebody to crap on something in modern wrestling, Jim Cornette is a guy to go to, apparently. Yeah. Um, but I actually, I don't blame anybody at all for being like, that was just stupid. God, he, but here's he, the thing, death match. Go ahead. I was going to say, you said he's in his late 40s. I think he was like, what, 46 or 47? And he's not a wrestler. So, like... Not a wrestler. He, he's even more at risk. You know what I mean? Like, jeez. He... Any, like, yes, he trained or whatever, but he, he's not a wrestler. He hasn't been doing this his whole life. Like, 
it, it's different when you're in there with people that make a living doing this. Like you're not making a living doing that. It, it's you know what you love to do. That's great, but you're not a wrestler. <laughs> like, geez. Right, and you got people like Nick Gage, who is a professional. He's done this for a long time. He might, he might be relatively safe with David Arquette or anybody else. That's anybody that's involved in wrestling. You do a death match. I guess you do it as safe as possible. But David Arquette is not a wrestler, so if he moves the wrong way or something, does something little herky jerky or something like that, what happened could what could happen happen. Like he. Cut his neck open, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. you know, and it may not have been intentional. Uh, and I don't, I think I've read an interview David Arquette wasn't only mad at Nick Gage, just an unfortunate accident, obviously. It was just like, you don't know what you're doing here, even though you know, kind of you trained, but you still, this is this is a different level. You, he shouldn't have been in a death match. You're a David Arquette fan, like, yeah. it's okay, you're a draw just for showing up. You don't have to do. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. I think that's. I'm gonna talk about after we kind of get through this, kind of the character study of David Arquette as a person. Uh, I guess a personality profile of him, you know. But he always felt like he had to prove something to his fans and to the industry. This is not. This is not it, though. Yeah. You know, doing death matches is not it. And death matches in general. I mean, they have an audience. People love death matches. People go. Out in the middle of fields and in the middle of nowhere, and we'll watch term, Tournament of Death every year or any other death match, right? Mm. I'm not a huge fan of those types of death matches. Maybe, you know, the light tubes in the fields with guys who aren't necessarily great wrestlers are just beating each other up just for the sake of it. There's glass everywhere, stapling each other on the tongue. You know, I'll watch the stuff that, like the Kenny Omega, John Moxley stuff. I'll watch that because they're, one, two of the best workers, two best wrestlers in the world. They know what they're doing. You know, these aren't amateurs, right? Uh, and they're not going to take too many, you know, I say I say too many, but they're not going to take a whole bunch of unnecessary risk. John Moxley might. I don't see Kenny Omega doing that. Um, Gage and Arquette are not two of the best wrestlers in the world. <laughs> no disrespect to Gage. I don't think he even aspires to be the best wrestler in the world. Uh, but that that's not what they are, you know. He he's Gay's been wrestling for a long time, but he's not Moxley or Omega. You know, it's just also they Moxley and Omega work for a promotion in AEW that will take care of them. They are professional promotion. They got doctors ready. Like no, this yeah, is and also, yeah. also on television. There's a lot. There's a little more at stake. So they're not gonna go crossing too many lines as opposed to. You out in this promotion here with GCW or some, you know, promotion that's got their death matches in the field somewhere because no building will sanction it. No building will let you have a death match in their building. That's a whole different animal. So, yeah. uh, but look, man, people, they they draw people. They're not for the masses. They draw the people who like death matches. And however many people that is, that's who, that's who watch them. I think the masses would see a lot of death matches with a lot of these guys and think they're stupid because they're not making a ton of money doing them. <laughs> they're not on TV and they're not in some big building or some big promotion. And that's what I think a lot of people would think. I understand that there's an audience for it, but I think a lot of people, if the masses got a hold of, you know, if they saw Moxley and, and Omega, at least you could say, man, they make a lot of money that night, though. Man, they work for the number two promotion in the country. 
arguably yeah. the number three promotion in the world right now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they put their bodies at risk, but they're getting a little bit, you know, they're getting a little reward at the end for uh, a CCW or another indie promotion. Not not quite the same. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's a little different. Like and for Arquette, very unnecessary. Like he can he could do a wrestling match, a regular wrestling match, relatively safely. You know, even though there's still a risk involved, there's still gonna be stick be done. You know, without unnecessary damage. A death match, you gotta go all out for a death match. You can't half-ass a death match. The fans won't like it. It won't do a a, a service to death matches in the past. Like it's just you can't half-ass it. So you gotta go all the way. You gotta go above and beyond and. I don't think that was what David Arquette needed in his career or in his life ever. <laughs> like, let's not do that. You know? Yep. So, but this is when we get into kind of a, uh, I guess, a fall for David Arquette because he kind of relapsed. Yeah. Because, again, he is a functioning alcoholic. I guess that's what he called himself. Uh, and because he was wrestling so much, he was in a great deal of pain. Which means he's probably self-medicated, and they showed him at one point just he's in a room and he's in a like a hotel or something like that in the ballroom, and he's just he's going through it and he just yep. walks over and just pukes in the box, yep. right then and there, like no bathroom, no trash can in a box. I don't know what they did with that box. I hope they discarded that box as soon as possible because vomit stinks. I uh, <laughs> right? uh, I'm impressed he made it to the box. I remember <laughs> I was walking up. Yep. One of my old jobs, uh, I took a medication in the morning for like an upset stomach or allergies. I don't remember what it was, but it was on an empty stomach, and apparently that wasn't good. And I was walking quickly to the break room at my work to vomit in the uh, sink, and I didn't make it, man. I collapsed to my knees and vomited all over the hallway floor. So, Wow, why did See, you collapse to your knees? I <laughs> <laughs> Usually you double over the vo- the I guess the force because I've never done that and that's before that and or since like the force of it just dropped me to my knees. I had just come from my boss's office because I was telling her I was like I don't feel that well. Uh, is it right if I go home early and you know she's one of the one of those bad bosses that are like oh, let's see see if you can you know get through it. It's like, oh, well, thanks. You care about me. On the way back to my my office area, I collapsed and <laughs> threw up everywhere. So it kind of reminded me of this. He was able to make it to the box, and I, I couldn't make it to the sink. So I wound up cleaning it myself. Though, <laughs> but That's good. That was a good it's kind of thing that so I just, in, this, uh, yeah, in this documentary I could relate to a little bit. That must have took a lot out of you, bro. You, you collapsed. You, oh I, God! And just like very dramatic. I'm thinking I, about it. I'm pitching it like there's being very dramatic me. and like. Uh, <laughs> so it was a long wear. hallway, a long hallway. I was kind of like in a uh, warehouse type setting, doing data entry stuff with computers everywhere, and then the long hallway, and then the front of the building with the lobby and the customer service center and my boss's offices or whatever. So I'm, you know, walking back that long hallway, that thin hallway that I don't think anyone saw me, <laughs> but, uh, I, I don't remember if they had like cameras or not, but I would love to see that just to see how it looked. Cause I was just like, why <laughs> just to see how funny it was now that I can laugh I guess. at it. I, it'd like, be funny for back. me. It'd be funny like, for I, me to see how dramatic I love laughing at was. I love laughing at myself, so 
now that I I know uh, like I'm okay. That was ten plus years ago. I uh, <laughs> wonder. I just wonder how it looked because I had to go tell her. I was like, I just threw up like all over your hallway. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I cleaned it up. But I just threw up like all oh. over your hallway. I'm sure that stunk though. You couldn't get the smell out. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't. I, I don't remember because it was basically just bile. So <laughs> that's, that's nasty. Straight bro. shooters podcast, baby. Or <laughs> you come oh, yeah. from vomit, vomit Nick, dis- discourse. <laughs> Nick calling Earl at work in dramatic fashion. <laughs> oh God! So Down just called out. That literally happened like an hour after I got there. So. <laughs> um, did you out. go home after that? I did. I did. Okay. Like right okay, before good. lunch. So. Good. 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 <laughs> Drop to your knees. I did. I did. <laughs> so. You were in bad shape. Now. I was just like, oh. <laughs> God, oh, too much to bear. Oh, I've been shot. <laughs> <laughs> Down to my knees, I go. Usually, you know, I've been there. You know, we've all been there. We had our sick moments. You just double over, you know. But I don't know. I guess <laughs> I don't know if it's ever happened to me before. But it um, was embarrassing. Yeah. You were you were in bad shape, much like David Arquette was at yes. this po- point of his uh, wrestling career. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was at uh, that was at WrestleCon 2019, right? So like, actually at WrestleCon, it was Jesus. Well, I wrote it down. It might have been like it. I might have just noted it, and then maybe this was a different. Uh, You're probably right. Thing, but yeah, I don't remember. But on top of all that, uh, David Arquette's good friend Luke Perry passed away around this time, so I'm sure that didn't help him. Uh, you know, in his addiction, you know, I'm sure that grief and that sadness didn't help, and he gotten bad shape again and puking in boxes and stuff like that so um but you know this this has an happy ending all right don't worry that's a happy ending because he he wins the wcw title again no not quite oh he gets himself into good shape again and he has a match at the the same event that he got kicked out of a year or so prior the legends of wrestling show in detroit he gets booked on it and he gets to go up against Ken Anderson. And he has a good showing of himself alongside of his wife, uh, who was dressed as Miss Elizabeth, which they talk about throughout the documentary. Yeah. Like that's that was like his like first crush as a kid was Miss Elizabeth. Like he just loved her. And he has a tattoo uh, of Ro- Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth on like his, one of his arms. He also has an El Santo tattoo that he got in Mexico. Um, they showed that at one point. Yeah. But he has a good showing of himself. He's feeling really good. He's happy. All the guys embrace him backstage. Oh, he did a good, great job. It has this very, uh, you know, uplifting ending in that he finally was welcomed into the family of pro wrestling. He finally earned everybody's respect. And he was even pit on the PWI 500, which oh my God. people get big mad about every year when it comes out for no good damn reason <laughs> right <laughs> and it's not really even the wrestlers because i'm sure some wrestlers be like oh i'm number what 
But like, really, at the end of the day, who cares, right? Mm-hmm. Your ranking on the list don't pay, change your paycheck. But for David Arquette, that is kind of meaningful, right? Like he went from a guy who was nowhere near wrestling to being on a PWI 500. That's pretty cool, <laughs> right? I guess. You get. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't even mean anything for David Arquette. I just I, put. I don't know. I just put a bunch of question marks. Like really? I mean, I don't I care about like, these. I don't care about rankings to begin with. But it's like really. <laughs> I I just see it as like him. That's like a badge that he is part of the wrestling business. I don't yeah. know if Bad Bunny would be on the PWI 500. <laughs> Maybe he will. I don't know. But. For David Arquette to be on a PWI 500 is almost like a recognition of like, hey, you worked a lot, you put in the work, and we're going to put you in the same class of these other 500 wrestlers, 499 wrestlers, I guess, who also put in work and paid their dues, went up and down roads, went to shows. So, again, for everybody else, it shouldn't mean that much. But for David Arquette, I think that was meaningful. I don't know where he was. I can look it up where he got ranked. On a PWI 500. Uh, yeah, I didn't even look that up. 499. <laughs> Probably 500, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would like to know who's um, 500. Oh, he was 453. Oh wow! According to his Twitter, uh, his t- he tweeted it back on October 16th, 2019. He said I was ranked uh, by the official PWI number 453 in 2019. After a year and a half of training and touring the independent circuit, I I would appreciate being taken off the list. So he didn't even want to be on the list. Four A list actors, for a list of, so he for a list of actors slash wrestlers, I would list number one Piper, which that's cool. I just watched the Piper documentary on A and E. I did too. Uh, the Rock, John Cena himself. And then Stephen Amell. <laughs> he made himself in front of Stephen Amell. Um, but, you know, even still, he's still kind of gracious. and like, I don't deserve to be on the list. Could you imagine being a wrestler who works his, his or her butt off and you're like below David Arquette on the PWI 500? <laughs> hey, man, you gotta, uh, you gotta become a movie star. Hey man, he he put in the work though. He did. He put in he the did. work. We can't knock him for putting in the work. He definitely did. Um, and like again, again for everybody else, uh, whatever. But for him, it's, you know, that's that's a that's a nice little badge of merit. You know, like I was on the PW, I worked myself onto the PWI five hundred. Yeah. You know, he and he did. He really hit a lot of shows. He did, toured, did a lot of uh, independent shows and stuff like that. Had a lot of matches. Took all the bumps and bruises and everything like that. So, hey, you earned his way on there. Congratulations to him. But uh, at the end of the day, I th- this documentary, it was well done. But I, you can, you, you, we talked about it a little bit, but I'll let you touch on, it, touch on it more here if you want. There were some parts that felt kind of kayfabed. I think the whole... Uh The, the backyard stuff, like, I don't know. I feel like there's it, it, they 
if there was no storyline, then I think they did a good, a really, really good job in creating one. But that's why I, I think there was because the, you had the story arc, and really, with it started with the hotel fight with knobs and stuff, where I was just kind of like, "That's weird." Like, like really, it, it escalated to that point. Like, it doesn't make sense that it escalated to that point. You know, right? They're still that mad at him, right? Twenty years later, right? <laughs> So that's why I kind of like, that's when I started kind of like, eh, maybe there's a slight story to this, uh, not a true documentary, but you know, it's good for what it was. Like I was entertained by it. Um, you know, he, I think he really did feel the hate from some fans. Cause he even said like, why do they hate me? Like, but I think he kind of played that up a little bit because, uh, I don't think, you know, fans today want him dead i don't think fans today uh, i think a majority of them are over you know what happened in wcw and stuff like that at least the the majority that i at least talk to and like converse when it comes to pro wrestling i don't think a lot of people like hate him but then i you know that indie super fan saying that you know if you Get redemption on the indies that's true redemption i was kind of like man that's so corny like i i don't know the, the, a lot of it was just okay relax just relax like it was more of a story like a, a manufactured story with those little things than really tell the story of david arquette and wrestling and uh stuff like that so uh yeah it's kind of where i'm at yeah, I agree. It was definitely well done, uh, well shot, well produced. It definitely yeah. had. Yep. And look, David Arquette and his wife, Christina McClarty Arquette, both, they, I think they both produced it, uh, executive producer, something like that. So they put some money behind it. You could tell this was, wasn't some fly-by-night type of operation. And I'm certain David Arquette and his wife wouldn't, you know, work with people who were some fly-by-night type of people. Um, they knew what they were doing. But uh, yeah, there's definitely some points where it's like, okay, like you said, there's a story arc, the point where they're climbing up to the top of the mountain in Mexico, and they're screaming, it's like, okay, that wasn't, that's for the cameras, right? Like, <laughs> you know, the way they kind of set up the Cole Ken Anderson thing, he's like, yeah. cuss knock David Arquette in the beginning, yeah. and then they, they talk about, I'm coming for you, David Arquette, and like, as <laughs> if he's like, cutting a promo, like really trying to beat up David Arquette, and of course, they have the match, and you see them backstage, and like, hugging it out, and stuff like that, and it's like, was that necessary? I don't know. Like, was that whole Ken Anderson part necessary? Yeah, to um, me, I mean, after that, I was kind of like, okay, I guess Ken really hates David Arquette. They just included it because it'll get us talking. And But then, like, you, you actually watch the documentary, and it's like, oh, like, never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that was kind of odd. Um, but to me, this is more of like a, like I said, a character study or a personality profile because he's not like a character. He's a real person. Um, of David Arquette, it's just from a kind of a slight fall from grace when he was again in the mid late nineties. He was a budding star. He's part of the next generation of superstars in Hollywood, and then he wasn't. He fell off uh, for a while, and he's done some things recently, but he did fall off. But all the while, as much as that hurt him. It felt like his kind of shunning from the wrestling business hurt him even more, almost, which is weird. Because yeah. he didn't, he wasn't trying this hard to, I mean, I'm sure he said he did a bunch of auditions, 
but he wasn't putting his body on the line to get back in Hollywood, like you know, or to get more roles. Yeah, he said that nobody would ask him to do that anyway because it's, they have stunt doubles. You know, you know, right. you know, yeah. take all the bumps in the movie. <laughs> but for him to want that love from pro wrestling, obviously he grew up loving pro wrestling. His dad was the voice of Jimmy Snuka in the Hulk Hogan cartoon in the eighties. Like, yeah. <laughs> he grew up with it. He loved it. He, you know, for some reason, that adulation from not just the fans, but the people in the business. He was not treated as one of the boys, and he really wanted that, that acceptance. And I wonder where that comes from. Well, where's that manifested from? Was that from his childhood? Was he, it felt like, you know, he said he loved his dad. You know, like, yeah, the mom wasn't great to them, but the dad was there and loved them, you know, whatnot. But was he not loved enough? Like, what, 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 what would make a man like David Arquette want to seek the love and adulation of, of seek it to this much of anything, but specifically pro wrestling? I think part what of what was it about him? What was it about wrestling that made him want to chase that so much to the point that he puts his body on the line every weekend at these independent shows for like a year and a half, two years? At his at damn near fifty, I think. Part of it, like, I, I, he did love his dad, but I think he mentioned, like, he maybe he didn't feel the same reciprocated to him. Like, his dad was just kind of, like, there. Uh, I don't know mm. if he necessarily said he felt the love. I I don't remember, but uh, that could be part of it. I mean, if you're growing up in that type of household and you don't feel that love from either one of your parents, uh, yeah, you're going to want you know, to find something that you're so passionate about and be accepted to that. And the fact that, okay, they putting the belt on you turned people even further against you that you were trying to maybe impress or be accepted by, that's got to do a number on you mentally too. You know, like, you know, they mentioned that maybe there was a sign of psychological trauma in his brain when they were looking at it or it could have been, you know, being hit on the head, you know, traumatic brain injuries, something like that. And I can't imagine, like, mentally, if you're you're trying to be accepted by this these people inside the business and outside, the one the people that love the business that come in and watch the fans that watch the show and nobody's giving it to you, that's gotta do a number on you. And uh that that part I think is is real. That's like a real thing that you know, I mean, we only know what we saw in this documentary. We only know what we saw when he wrestled in 2000 and then throughout the years, you know, his story. Uh, you know, we only know what we know. And to me, that not having that acceptance could absolutely be mentally jarring. And, like, I feel the same way about certain things. If I'm not accepted by something or I try my hardest to do something and it's not looked at in a positive light and I, I feel like you know I let somebody down or without you know actually doing it it's just how I feel like yeah I can't imagine how you know he was at the pinnacle of you know what he wanted to, to do or what he loved and nobody liked him for it you know that's gotta be tough yeah and that probably led to him being an addict right you know right? yeah people look at addicts sometimes as if they're weak and all this and that, you know, and it's like, no, some of these people, they they go through some type of trauma, 
especially as ch- children. And it's, that's why what I've come to learn over the last couple of years, as you know, as we've gotten older, is that your childhood, the way you are raising your childhood, could dictate the rest of your life. Honestly, yeah. yeah. If you have a, a messed up family, or you know, you're going through stuff at home, or you have some type of traumatic thing happen to you as a child, that could affect the rest of your life. Yep. Right. Those are almost as important years of your life as as any other part of your life because that can dictate everything. And you saw it with like a DMX, right? Mm-hmm. DMX was an addict, and it wasn't because he was just an idiot. It's because he dealt with trauma, childhood traumas of one. Growing up in you know in poverty in New York, for two, being dropped off at a boarding school unknowingly by his mom, and from that point on, he had like, you know, he had a odd relationship with his mom after that because it's just like I didn't ask to be here. It's like he thought it looked nice, and then she was like, "No, this is where you're staying." And he's like, "What?" And that was it. She's left him there, right? That could mess a kid up, and messed him up, and enjoyed you know the help that drove him to addiction. And same thing with David Arquette. Where he, you know, something wasn't right in his childhood. They mentioned, again, the only thing we really know is that he grew up in a commune without electricity, right? And, and, and potentially running water. And his mother was abusive. I, don't, I guess I would assume physically and emotionally and psychologically and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't help. But when you talk about an addict, sometimes they become obsessed with things. Maybe not necessarily with drugs, you know, when they, when they recover, they're in recovery, when they, you know, they're still always an addict, but when they're not using, they become obsessive maybe with other things. And I think for Arquette, wrestling is that obsession. Yeah. You know, I think he was really some reason fit because everybody around him is like, why, 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 why? You can you you are still a celebrity. You have a wife. You have a bunch of great kids. You have a great family. You know what I'm saying like friends throughout the industry that know you that still love you. Yeah, th- your career hasn't gone exactly the way you wanted it to, but it's still you can still get work. And now him and his wife are producing things. You'd imagine. If his wife is producing something, there might be some roles for David Arquette, you know, and and stuff that she's producing. So it's not like he can't find work anymore. Uh, if anything, it's probably going to pick up now that his wife is getting more into production, the production side of things. So why? Why would a man of his stature, of his socioeconomic status, again, wife, beautiful, kids, Beautiful, the whole nine. Why in the hell, at his age too, at 48, 49, whatever, would he put his body at stake with in pro wrestling, with a bad heart, with, you know, he's on blood thinners and his ribs and all this stuff. And his brain function, not his brain not functioning yeah. like a typical person's brain. All that stuff they're talking about with the yeah. doctors. It's like, why? Why is because he loves it so much to the point of exception. He probably loves it too much for his own good. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, it's stuck in his crawl that people always kind of pointed at him and been like, you helped ruin pro wrestling, which I, I think we're both in agreement is unfair Very much. assessment of what happened back in 2000 in WCW. Yeah. Yep. 
but I'm sure he hurt. Unfair or not, he still felt some type of way about that. And he, if there was, it felt like in my mind at least, this is my opinion. If there was one person out there that still felt that way, he wanted to do something about that and change that person's mind. And if that meant having a death match with Nick Gage, and damn near getting his neck sliced open, or he did get sliced open, then so be it. But he needed to prove ev- to every single person who remembers that time period and 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 looked down upon him because of it. I actually belong here. That's that's the thing he wanted to. He wanted that sense of belonging. He really wanted to be a part of the wrestling business. He wanted to be one of the boys. And to me, that's the that's not just a thing. That's not just a pro wrestling thing. That's also like a that's a larger thing as far as like that's a larger conversation as far as like his sense of wanting to belong. And maybe that goes back to his childhood, right? Yeah. You know, people. That's the thing that, you know, people do a lot of things that they want to belong. You know, some people stormed the Capitol on January 6th that they wanted to belong to a cause, right? Some people join gangs because they just want that sense of belonging. They want to be a part of something. You know, like, that's literally it. They're not terrible human beings. They just want to belong to something. And I think maybe that's David Arquette, too. He just wants to belong to something. And he could belong in Hollywood, but I feel like this wrestling thing, because... He had done it before and didn't work out. He felt like he needed to redeem himself for some reason. Which, in a sense, I think he did, right? I think people recognize what David Arquette did in 2018, 2019. It was like, kudos to him. Don't do any more death matches, but kudos to you, bro. You know, for, for doing that. Here's the thing, though. You don't have to prove nothing to none of these wrestling fans or David Arquette. Like, <laughs> you don't. You really don't. We're, we're really not worthy of, of that. Like, we don't need to have that much power over you. Like, I understand that this is what it is, but we'll be all right. We, we, we ain't not that important. We sometimes make... You, you don't have to we pop to make ourselves Twitter. Right. We sometimes make ourselves way more important than we actually are. Like, take it easy. <laughs> We're, let's just watch wrestling, enjoy it, or not enjoy it, whatever. You can do what you want, but, like, we don't have to... Who, who the hell are we to judge David Arquette? For something that happened 20 years ago when he was put in this spot that he was put in. It wasn't like he chose to be in that spot. So I guess he could have walked out, but he wasn't going to do that. You know, <laughs> that's nuts. So it is. But that is. Go ahead. No, I was saying that is nuts. If, you know, he ain't going to walk out. So we're going to give you the title. Right. Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> right, I'm no, leaving. One, no one's doing that. <laughs> you imagine. <laughs> Why Nobody on wrestling Twitter is doing that. <laughs> right. Why Why did you leave? They're going to make me world champion. I thought that was preposterous, so I left. <laughs> like, <laughs> I packed up my things and left. I wasn't. I didn't want to be world champion. Okay. That's what not what happened. That's not what... <laughs> exactly. No one was going to do that. No one in his position was going to be like, nah, I'm good. No. <laughs> You tell Bad Bunny tomorrow, hey Bad Bunny, we're gonna make we're gonna have you beat Bobby Lashley. You're gonna be the next WWE champion. Now maybe he <laughs> maybe he watched his documentary and was like, you know what? No, I'm good. <laughs> you know, I don't need that type of heat on me. But then again, maybe he like, you know what? You know, that'd be kind of dope. Won a Grammy or two. You know what? I think I want to be WWE champion too. Let's do it. <laughs> like I think most people would be like, yes. Let's be WWE champion. I get to pin Bobby Lashley. 
<laughs> I'm just saying. It is what it is. Most people will do it. So <laughs> So don't 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 judge. Don't uh you know, shun or disparage David Arquette for doing something that we all would have done. Mm-hmm. I would have been as an eleven year old in two thousand. Eleven years old, I would have been like, Yep, world champion. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been like the my youngest. opponent's getting no offense in. And I'm exactly. Pin, pin I'm beating him, him up the foot. entire time. He's gonna he's gonna get squashed tonight. <laughs> if you put the belt oh, on me, I gotta Sid. go over hard, brother. Sid Vicious, I gotta beat him. Or oh, I'm beating the hell out of Sid Vicious. <laughs> like, and I'm be the youngest world champion of all time. Let's get it together. Let's do it. I'm world champion. <laughs> and that's it. And I'm gonna put up a big ass fight, and when I have to lose it, I might cry. <laughs> <laughs> As an 11 year old kid, throw, throw a tantrum on the floor. What do you mean I gotta lose? <laughs> Losing the DDP, though, that don't work for me, brother. That don't work for me, man. How about I, I, I win every every match until my 18th birthday? How about that? <laughs> then I'll retire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I won't even lose. I'll just retire. <laughs> right? So, again. Everybody would have done that if they were in his position. But that is the documentary, You Cannot Kill David Arquette. Again, released in August of 2020. It is still available on Hulu. So if you listen to this whole podcast somehow and didn't watch it, I don't know why you did that. <laughs> so, again, go back, go on Hulu and check it out. Uh, it's on there. <laughs> it's on there. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> it's true though. How did you listen to this whole thing and not watch the documentary yet? Like we go pretty. Maybe in depth listen to us. We'll make them watch it. Maybe they're interested now. That's they true. Previously that's true. not. That's true. That's true. So yeah, go check it out. Uh, and you know, then come back and listen to us again. Yeah. After, after you uh, watch it. So it's a, it's a good it's a good documentary though. Again, it's like an hour and a half. It's got great reviews, which I. And after watching it, I was like, oh, wow. Before I watched it, I was surprised. Then I watched it. Then I was like, still surprised. Like, I, that high? 91%? Wow. But yeah. wrestling has always been a cool thing to be in, like, in documentaries, though. Because it's, yeah. it's very unique art form and very unique people in pro wrestling. So it always usually makes for a good documentary, especially if it's done right. So this is another one. So, uh, but until next time, Nick. Could you take us on, out with some plugs, please? On that note, we're going to end with the Sixers punching their ticket to the fourth straight postseason berth. They beat the Atlantic Hawks. Today. Nice. So, championship. Nice. We are on championship watch. I am Nick Pacone. You can follow me at Nick Pacone. You can follow us at Shooters Radio on Twitter. We are at on Facebook at facebook.com slash Shooters Radio. You can listen to this podcast wherever, and especially phillyinfluencer.com and perhaps phillyvoice.com. Well, hopefully the Sixers can get the number one seed too at some point. Yeah. That'd be Hope. that'd be dope. Uh, I think I think last time that happened was two thousand one, right? When we went to the finals. So I thought they were the one let's seed. Let's do it again. What's that? Oh, never mind. Yeah, you're right. For some reason, I thought you said four, but you definitely said one. So no. I'm just, I'm one just stupid. seed. Yes, I'm just stupid. If we had the four seed. That'd be wild. <laughs> what? 
We had the best record of basketball of all this time. We get the four yeah. seed. That'd be crazy. <laughs> um, but I am at Vaughn M. Johnson. If you can't find me on there, you can probably find me out here in these streets. I am vaccinated, so I have been venturing out here and there. But not, you know, nothing too crazy. But still, here and there. So, you, you know, I'll be out here sometimes. And then, then I don't be. So that's how it works uh, with me. I will be out here tomorrow, though, because... <laughs> As, I rec- as we record this Wednesday night, tomorrow is the NFL draft. So I will be very busy this weekend <laughs> coming up. Uh, Who, so we drafting? We'll Who we drafting? Who we drafting? Look, they don't tell me nothing. I'm just along for the ride. I don't believe you. <laughs> That's it. I'm not Anchorman. <laughs> I'm not Anchorman. Gif. I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, That's all I got. That's all I got. But. Uh, you can find my writing on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. You made the graphics already. Uh, so I know what you're up to. <laughs> nope. I got nothing. I got nothing. That's all I got. I got nothing. But, uh, yeah, find my writing on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. I got some stories up there from the last couple of weeks about our offensive coordinator, uh, Shane Steichen, defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon. I'll be having some more stories coming in the near future. Uh, and again, I'm going to be super busy this weekend with the NFL draft. So go check out my work along with our whole team uh, of people of work. Uh, that, that, that was not a good sentence. Our whole <laughs> department's Eagles Entertainment. We have great work. You can check it out at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. So it's not just me. It's a whole team of people doing good stuff there. Uh, of course, Patreon. Patreon.com slash Shooters Radio. As I said earlier, go check us out there uh, for some exclusive content, including requesting our deep dives. So if, again, if you want us to do a deep dive about a show, uh, like a past event, or a documentary or some type of movie or TV show that's wrestling related. So no one requested David Arquette documentary, but if you want to request like, I don't know, uh, Barbed Wire City, the ECW documentary that came out back in like 2013 or so, go on over to patreon.com slash shooters radio and we will fulfill that request. And of course, you can join the show for a couple of minutes too uh, as we talk about it. So head on over there again, patreon.com slash shooters shooters radio until next time though i'm for nick mccone i am vaughn johnson thanks for listening to episode 281 of the straight shooters and we'll catch y'all again next week i like to think that good people will always come out on top in the end